Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. We have a special episode today. I am Danielle, and this is Amy. Amy Alpert, life coach or life coach Amy Alpert, however you want to say life it. Coach Amy. And this is the first time we've recorded a bunch of episodes, but I don't think we've been in person recording oh, together. That's so nice. I know you're in our new studio, which is gorgeous. Thank you. Uh, but we haven't been able to be in person together recording, so this is really, really special. Yeah, I feel like we, the last time we recorded, was it Zoom Mm -hmm. early COVID? Yep, right in the beginning of COVID, I think we did an episode about like... How to survive COVID, little did we know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We were like, the next two weeks are going to be really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone buckle up, 14 days, 14 days flat flat in the curve. Yeah. (laughs) Here we are, 72 months later. I know. Um, but but actually, you do have a gorgeous space as a result of it. I thank think you. you. spent that time like making a nice little homey spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm it's not really that. homey. It's really like like lots of energy and oh, thanks. vibrant. Well, Adam pulled me in the other day. He's like, I've been decorating in here because we have all these shelves. You see how empty they are? Yeah. So I walk in and he has his baseball card collection <laughs> and his Don Maddenly signed ball. And he's like, don't they look great in here? <laughs> Like, you get that shit out of here right now. <laughs> that does not fit no. the whole vibe. Right. But today we're talking about, you originally brought this book to me. You were reading it. Um, and it's called Wintering. And the concept of it can, I mean, definitely can relate to so many parts of your life. But obviously, for all of us, it takes on kind of a new meaning now that we've all been quarantined and have had this joint experience of bunkering down and you know sort of living a slow existence for a while now we're all kind of back into it but um but it's written by Catherine May and first of all do you remember why you originally first read the book did you hear about it from somebody I think I think it came out last winter yeah and um it was just it just totally touched a nerve I was like oh my god I have to read this first of all I love cold weather like not freezing freezing cold but I love the cold so and it just had this like beautiful like cover and the power of rest and retreat and difficult times I think probably spoke to a lot of people and a lot of us were you know using the idea of being outdoors to deal with COVID for the whole summer and fall. And then we were anticipating, oh no, now we have winter. How are we going to survive COVID 
in the winter stuck indoors. So the book really spoke to that too, because I knew it was going to be a more difficult winter than usual. So there's this concept, there are two concepts, right? There's the concept of winter and then this concept of wintering that she talks about. Do you want to talk about those two different concepts that Catherine May is sort of presenting in her book? Yeah, so there's the season of winter, which we all experience together if we're all living in the Northeast or, you know, certain parts of the of the world. And, um, and so we're all, you know, that's the time that it gets darker and it's cold and we might be slightly more introverted. And, um, you know, there's the whole coziness concept that comes in in the wintertime in the fireplace and that sort of thing. So, so that's the p- one piece of wintering. And then there's the idea that we winter at various times of our life and it could be in the middle of summer. It's, you know, times when you feel, you know, a little bit more disconnected from things. So she says, wintering is a season in the cold. It is a fallow period in life when you're cut off from the world, feeling rejected, sidelined, blocked from progress, or cast into the role of an outsider. And then she goes on about that. And basically that... Um, Wintering is is usually involuntary, lonely, and deeply painful, yet it is also inevitable. And so that's a lot of what she talks about, like, we're all going to winter, but yet it's so isolating, and and you feel very alone, even though we're all going to go through it at some point in some way, many, maybe multiple winters throughout our life. And we were talking before about quarantine, and I think the difference of that is that there was this collective loneliness there was this collective isolation even though we all kind of felt like we were on our own little deserted islands and we had no you know not much connection I mean except thank goodness for you know zoom and everything but this is really one where you feel very much away from society like the world is going on and everyone is thriving and succeeding and you are somehow failing alone in your, you know, like, she's, you know, she talks about humiliation and how you feel the the guilt of you being home doing whatever you're doing while the world is going on. There's definitely um, something that makes us feel like we have failed, in a sense, when we are wintering. Shame. Shame. And we fight against it, right? So she's saying we, we do two things. A lot of people fight the winter. You know, we can't wait for the longer days. Um, people hate the solstice, you know, the longest, the shortest day of the year. And um, we sort of, you know, we hate the lack of light. And, um, and I think what she's saying is, number one, we need to stop fighting the winter if we embrace it. And, and settle into it, it can be really beautiful and teach us so much. And then the same thing with wintering. We fight it and we try so hard not to immerse ourselves in that sadness, right? Because happiness is the ultimate to everybody and everyone's supposed to be happy. And so we fight it so much. And she's also saying, but we need to maybe settle into that too get used to that sadness and sort of embrace it, embrace the period. So there's this parallel between being in the dead of winter and embracing it and being in the dead of the loneliness of wintering and embracing it and all that can come of it. That's exactly right. Beautifully said. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, And I was going to talk a little bit about 
you know, my personal wintering, because one of the reasons why I was going to talk about mine, and I want everybody who's listening, of course, to think about a time when they've been wintering, you know, it, it could be, it could have been postpartum depression, um, the loss of a loved one, uh, a failed, not a failed relationship, but an end of a relationship or a loss of a relationship, um, a diagnosis, a diagnosis, losing a job, getting rejected from your number one college or your number one job or, you know, just anything, any kind of rejection. All of those things can put us into a period of wintering where we retreat and we cut ourselves off and we do feel this sort of humiliation. And I speak often of my OCD and, um, and how that really was a time of complete and total isolation for me from the world. I mean, really to a very radical extent because I wouldn't talk on the phone. I wouldn't use the computer. Um, You guys had to force me to, you know, to um, leave the house and take a walk around the block. I was completely isolated and I fully felt like a failure, right? I had to leave my job. I moved out of living with Adam and moved back in with our mom and dad. You, my mom and dad. You came and helped, but there were very few people who I let in. It was you, mom, and dad, kind of. That was really it. Even Adam didn't really know the extent of what was going on. Um, so I really was cut off from the world. You know, and what was one thing I always think about during that time is how you physically changed. Like, You know how when you're freezing cold and you sort of wrap your arms around you and you sort of shrug into yourself, that was how you looked all the time. It was like you physically manifested that sort of wintering idea of just being like completely insular and into your in in your in your own mind, which is really where you were. Um, And I just remember that. Like I remember that visual of you just you know being so. Small, kind of. It's just sort of the way you would, if somebody looked at you, they would they would not know this exuberant person that you are. You know, it was completely gone. Yeah, every aspect of me changed. Yeah. And I fully remember, first of all, I did not embrace the time at all. It felt like hell. Well, yeah. I mean, it felt like a personal hell, which it often can. And obviously, looking back now, I totally know what she's talking about. I mean, I learned so much from that period after the fact, you know, looking back in in, in it, I, I think I was too close to it. I couldn't. But now I share it. I've learned from it. Others, I think, learn from it. And um, and that's really what she's saying is that, you know, we are less lonely if we talk about these periods of time and share them. And that's why she shares her period when she got very ill. Um, but and- also you, I think you needed to get to that extreme level to get the help that you needed at the time but you were open to it and that was key like you were willing to talk go to therapists and go and back go back on medicaid you know all the things that um helped you come out of it you were open to oh yeah i wanted to get better and i think there's two things because we always say this too shall pass right that is a big statement i remember our mom saying that to me so many times people get it tattooed on them and it's um it's a very big phrase for people this too shall pass and of course it's usually true but i think there's the other part of it where 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 i think what Catherine may is saying okay this too shall pass but we're in it now what can we learn from it now 
what can we embrace from it now? Uh, you know, so there's those two sides of it. Okay, it won't last forever, thank goodness, because, you know, no one wants to be in retreat and in hell forever. But there is something, if you sink into it, that can be learned and gotten from it. Well, to get back to the idea of the season of winter, one of the great things of the book is she goes and visits people in these very cold areas, people who have winters that are really dark and go on for a really long amount of time and how they've built in these rituals and these things to make it more bearable. And um, and I think that's sort of what it is. Like we know winter's coming every year. So what, and, and we know we're going to winter at some point. So what are some things we can do to make it more tolerable? I mean, I know my daughter goes to school in Maine and the kids there, they, they just don't let the cold stop them. You know, they go outside, they do their things, they, they find a way to enjoy the weather. So it's sort of like, what can we do in anticipation of these to prepare for them to, you know, make it not so painful or lonely or isolating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she also says, you know, you also know that in these periods, you're going to be lacking in certain things like vitamin D. And there are certain ways that you can bring that into your life. And, you know, all the ways that you need to get the benefits of the sun and outdoors and everything when you don't have actual natural aspect of it. Um, One thing that... Catherine May talks about also is how going through our own wintering makes us so much more compassionate to other people. So oftentimes what what people do as a defense mechanism when they see somebody else wintering or going through a difficult time is they try to remove themselves from it. Like they are wintering over there because of this, that, or the other thing that's not relevant to me. And so this sort of fear causes people to separate and and feel isolated because people sometimes really do reject you. It's not, it's not only in your head, right? I'm sure when you were going through your difficult time, there were people that were like staying away. Oh yeah. Um, But the more we winter ourselves, the less fear I think we have and the more compassion that we can have it. So after you went through your difficult time and certainly after I've gone through my difficult times, I think that I'm much more compassionate to people and I feel less of a need to like, distinguish myself from them and separate myself from them. I more can say, oh, I know what you're going, you know, I, I, I felt that, you know, or something similar to that. Right. There's this absolute idea that once you have wintered yourself, I think, first of all, people like, you know, bosses, CEOs, people who are in charge of others, it's, I think it's important for them to have that compassion and, and maybe have that experience with wintering because then, you know, when other people are going through it, then you're more likely to give them the space and the, you know, the leniency that they need in order to be able to have that time and take that time. But I also think that, yeah, in a community, if you're somebody who has wintered yourself and you know that somebody else is going through it, like you said, yeah, you're not as fearful of it. Um, and you know, and I think about also the fact of, you know, I think about Mia who the Catherine May, it turns out it is on the spectrum, the, the, the writer of the book, and she doesn't find out until adulthood. 
So there's this idea that, you know, even though she wasn't wintering in the sense of being in her house and retreating in her mind, when she always knew something was different about her, there was an isolation and a loneliness. And Mia really went through that too, uh, more than we realized. So it can be something that's going on in your mind that you are feeling, you know, Catherine May talks about the fact that when she was a young girl and she knew something was different about her, that there was this loneliness and this isolation and this humiliation and, and sense of almost failure of being different. And... And then when she found out, it was like, oh, my God, thank goodness. And Mia often talks about that, too. When we came to the height of and – and I'm sorry, and Catherine May also talks about that with her son, that her six-year-old son was not doing well at school, and he started kind of testing her, sort of like, are you going to take this seriously? What are you going to do? Am I going to – you know, are you going to help me? Or, you know, and, and Mia was the same thing, that she had all this stuff going on in her mind for so long. She knew something was different. She knew there was an aspect of her that, you know, separated her from her peers. Um, And, you know, when she was 15, she was diagnosed and we found out she's on the spectrum. But until that period of time and until she said to us that she couldn't take it anymore and she said, I need to know, there was that whole inner dialogue of wintering, right, Of, of retreat retreating into yourself, feeling like you're cut off, even though she had to go and be a part of everything. And in some ways, that's kind of worse. You know, she had to mask and all of this. You know, there's no rest and retreat when you're masking. There's no rest and retreat when you're out there trying to fit in among people who are draining your energy. And, And I think that that is part of the thing that, you know, now I feel like Mia feels more like she can rest. You know, like now that we know, um, but for a long time, and I think that happens for a lot of people. A lot of people don't get ADHD diagnoses until they're, you know, in adulthood or uh, mental illness diagnoses or being on the spectrum, any of that. And that whole time you're, you're, you're wintering in a sense, in my opinion, inside your head, you know, you feel isolated, you feel cut off and um, and you're scared to say anything. It's funny because I, when I think about my own personal wintering, one of them was when I had my daughter, which is supposed to be like, she was perfectly healthy. We didn't go through any traumatic things, you know, as now that I've seen the world and I see how many things can go wrong. We were very, very lucky. Um, but I was 29 years old living in New York city and I had to transition from like, being a 29-year-old in the city where you're basically like having fun all the time to being a mom. And I was thinking like if I had been, a, if, if if Facebook and Instagram and all the memes and all the mommy blogs and all of that had been around, I would have benefited so much from that because I really felt so isolated. I didn't have any friends who had kids really. And, you know, people would come visit while I was, you know, attempting to nurse And I remember when they would leave, I'd be like, where are you going? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, what's life like on the outside? And Catherine May totally talks about that, how like you just feel like everybody else is going about their business and life continues as normal. And my life had been turned upside down, even though it was for a beautiful thing. I, I was 
I was like a little traumatized from the whole thing. And I think, God, if I had had Instagram, I swear it would have made a huge difference just to know that how I was feeling was normal. And I think Mia benefited a lot from that, from the, from social media too, in a way Mm -hmm. it educated her. Um, and yeah, so I think like not feeling so alone, sometimes these social media things, I know social media gets a bad name, but it does have, it does make you feel less alone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. These Uh, communities you can join and yeah. Right, right. Except for like me when I was, you know, I I would not have gone on social media because I was cutting myself. I didn't want to have anything to do with. I was was petrified of communication in any form. Right, right. Hey, everybody. Valentine's Day is coming up and this is the perfect time to reconnect with your partner. Danielle and I have worked so hard on our marriage over the last few years and it was this podcast that helped us communicate in a way that we've never done before. We've taken some of the best topics and compiled them into an easy to use date night questions ebook so you too can reconnect with your partner just as we did. There's topics such as the story of us which will remind you of why you fell in love in the first place. Also, the mental load, which can help your partner understand the stress in your life and that they might not know you are struggling with. Also, kinks and fetishes, which may lead to some desires you've been fantasizing about and were too nervous to discuss. The Marriage of Martini's Date Night Questions ebook can help bring your relationship to the next level with more communication, more romance, more fun, and more understanding of each other's needs and desires. Head over to marriageandmartinis.com slash DNQ and use promo code MNM podcast to get our biggest discount for podcast listeners only of 20% off. That's marriageandmartinis.com slash DNQ. Use promo code MNM podcast for 20% off. Just to point out, Danielle, you were talking about Mia. You sort of had to winter with her a little bit for a little while. Like, you know, as her mother, you went through a hard time, as we all do when our kids go through hard times. And what I was thinking about is one of the things about wintering is it can really test your bravery and your courage. You know, like having conversations that you might not normally have or, you know, learning about things that you normally wouldn't have learned about that are scary and or unknown or unfamiliar. Yeah, I had to make phone calls like one after the other after the other. And I fucking hate phone calls. And there was no other way to do it. I did. I, I did. There was no there was no other way. And in some ways that was good. I mean, you know, I I hated it, but it was definitely totally out of my comfort zone, but there was no other way to do it. Yeah. And that's where I feel like community really helps too. Like um, just getting the bravery, having people cheer you on, having people support you. Like when you make a phone call, you could text me right afterwards. Or, you know, I feel like that is really helps so so I would I really feel like a lot of times when we go through these difficult times we do have to be brave Mm -hmm. and it's a big part of it and I think then we can look back and be like wow I got through that Mm -hmm. I always do I always don't you sort of do you ever look back at some of those times I mean you were in the city during 9-11 which was another huge time that was sort of traumatizing for you because you were downtown when it all happened and everything talk about you know having uh your first child and and how that was but do you ever look back and are like damn I did it I actually like I got through it yeah yeah I also though look back like 
could have made things easier for myself if I had just talked to people. Yeah. Like, I think I, I've gotten much better at mm-hmm. it since then. Well, I think us as a society, we've also come a long way. And as you said, a lot more, you know, social media allows it to be a lot more out there. Right. I think there was something about that time period, even with me, I feel like OCD has so much more is talked about it, you know, talked about with it. And it's not as the shame, I think, and the stigma are still very much there, but not nearly to the degree that it was when I was going through. Don't you think it's also like our kids generation that are doing this? Like they're pretty awesome. That yeah. Way. Like the, the, there's a lot of open mindedness. There's a lot of welcoming of what's different. Mm-hmm. Um I, I just feel like that generation is going to change things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I think about Mia with the episodes she did and the, you know, her coming out episode that and everything that, yeah, it's, it, it, there is sort of this bravery with them that is so great. And also it's, it really is, I think, a trickle effect or a, you know, a domino effect in that for every person that does it, other people are going to talk about it. I mean, that's one thing with the podcast that we hear all the time is people say, oh my God, I had never admitted this to my husband or my wife or my friend or, but I heard you do it. And I was like, oh my, well, okay, now I'm going to do it. So there is that, you know, the more people who do it, there's this sort of exponential growth of, of vulnerability that with every one person, okay, then you tell, you know, you're telling eight people, let's say, in real life, not on a podcast. And then those eight people are going and being like, oh, my God, now I can open up. So I don't know. It Ultimately, we want to be one of those people who makes it easier for everybody. And in the book, she talks about that. She talks about how, like, we can share our wintering experiences to help other people. You know, that's sort of like the, the passing down or passing up, however it ends up looking. Um yeah, and I think that's so that's so key. And I think a lot of like especially our parents generation, they're so secretive, you know, about bad things. Not everybody, but that's a common thing. Like people don't want anybody to know mm-hmm. that their kid had um you know, a drug dependency. It's like they whisper, the whisper. The whisper cancer. Yeah. yeah, it's the whisper. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so sad because they're all going through it. And yet they can't help each other. They can't learn from each other. They can't like, you know, now if something were to happen to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, my friend went through that. I'm going to reach out to her. But if my friend didn't tell anybody. Right. There's I just recently saw a meme that was like, you know, our parents generation, you know, they're like, you know, sneaking off to the therapist and making sure parking around the corner so that nobody sees their car or whatever. And we wake up and we're like, well, my therapist said. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's such Taking a different... selfies in front of the therapist. Right. Door. I literally have a shirt that said it's on my way to therapy. Like, I'm like, <laughs> proud. Here I am. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that the aspect of, you know, the vulnerability of it all is so important and showing our kids that is so important. And as a society, we really do. We fight those emotions so hard. And especially where we live, I don't know about you, but I mean, anybody you talk to in our area, we're in New Jersey and it does, the winters, you know, do get cold. I mean, now it's, things are changing and it, the weather is just weird. But there is this sense of you walk around and everybody's like, oh, it's dark so early, you know, or oh my God, it's freezing outside. Everything is negative about it. 
nobody is like, oh, yeah, you know, streetlights are on time to go home and, you know, time to like get into, you know, get into bed and snuggle and with my book or whatever, because we're such a go, go, go. That's our that's the speed we're used to. So the fact of shortening the day and going home and retreating to your house because now it's dark and everything as I get older is becoming such a huge relief almost. But I think we're not supposed to feel that way, right? We're so, you know, in our capitalist society and everything, we are not supposed to feel like it's time to go home and winter. And we fight it. And I think there is this negative talk of you're supposed to say that's how you start a conversation in, you know, in the dead of winter is, oh, dark already. It's 430. How is it dark? You know, that is like such a I don't know. Do you feel like that? Well, I'm just remembering a time speaking of therapy when um, I was I had my had two kids. They were both in school, you know, maybe middle school, maybe around there, elementary, middle. And I was in therapy and I just was done. Like, I just didn't want to. I, I quit my job. I didn't really want to volunteer very much. I just wanted to be a mom. Like, I just wanted to, like, hunker down and cook and relax and just, like... Nest. I wanted to nest. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wanted to nest. And um, and she said to me, she was like, this is what you need right now. Like, it's not a forever thing. This is what you need right now. Stop fighting it. Embrace it. Um, and it's exactly true. I... I took that time off I can't remember how much maybe it was a year maybe a little more and then I started my own business it was like and then I was like energetic and in that totally summer time of like lots of energy and lots of excitement and lots of enthusiasm and confidence and I think that I needed that time of just like being and like it was sort of like an, a year-long winter that I did and I really thank God for my therapist that she she really made she really told me it's okay I don't know if anybody else would have known how to say that to me mm-hmm. so much. Um, and we don't think so. And I think that's something that Adam has had to really, you know, he comes from a very go, go, go family where everything is into energy and it's sort of this badge of honor that they wear that they're constantly, you know, go, go, go. And I've always been very impressed by it. I mean, I'm always like, oh, my God, where do they get that energy? It's amazing. And so as he's gotten a little bit older and has gotten more tired, I think it's taken him a while to be like, it's okay, you know, it's okay to just, you know, that I'm not doing all the time. And and I think that is something just like with any other strength or anything else that we have to get used to, I think we're not used to it. And so it takes practice. It's also scary for people. Like for me to, when I slowed down and was just home, you know, there's a lot more time to think. There's a lot more time to be bored and people are afraid of those things people people stay busy to avoid thinking people are terrified to be bored it's a very uncomfortable feeling to be bored that we don't like um especially you know you see us all which I do it all the time I check my phone the minute I get bored god forbid I have a second where I'm I'm you know a little uncomfortable but um I was like so ready for that at that time in my life that it was fine but I think a lot of people resist that. And also we were raised with our mom who is like... Yeah, very slow by nature. And she's very supportive of that. Like she's not about like 
you, you need to be busy every second. Oh, no. No, she's very much of the, oh, my God, you just got the kids on the bus. Go back to bed. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Ma, it doesn't work like that. I wish I could. But, but we are lucky that not many people have that. A right. parent who, like, who says that's okay. Right. That's true. No, you do need that in your life. Well, you were just talking about being bored and everything. I, I wanted to talk about this middle of the night feeling. Oh, I love that. Yeah. When she talks about, she calls it um, the the terrible threes. That. Yeah. That's- um, yeah. And she says that period of night when the world is asleep and it seems like you're the only one awake, um, it feels, you know, it feels lonely. She calls it the terrible threes, the dark insomniac hours. Long way past late, but too early to just surrender and start the day. There in the truest night, I lie in the dark catastrophe. And a little bit, it's like that time in the middle of the night that we also fight. And I think we've all been there where we're like, you know, that's my time of, oh, my God, I haven't made these appointments and I'm failing at this. And uh, I, you know, I, oh, my God, I can't believe I was so unhealthy and so this and so that like. It all comes to a head. And like you said, those hours of really do feel like the loneliest hours when you're, you know, literally it feels like the rest of the world is asleep, although obviously it isn't because the other half of the world is completely awake doing whatever they're doing. But it feels like you are the only one. I remember when I would nurse Gabrielle in the middle of the night in the city and I would look out the window and you would see which apartments had their lights on. And it was so comforting. And I'd be, I'd like try to imagine like, what are they doing in there? Somebody else nursing their baby right now? Like that was very, the city has, it can be very isolating the city, but that piece of it was really comforting. Right. But doesn't she talk about also that there, that like a hundred years ago or more people would wake up in the middle of the night? Did you write that? So there were two, there were two, um, I didn't write it down, but I remember she was saying that they sort of, they had shifts of sleep. There was like this deep sleep that they would have and then they would wake up and in this time period in the deep hours of the night, um, this was like thousands of years ago, I think. I thought so. We could check that. But it was, it was definitely Somewhere a long, between well, she said people have been doing ago. this a real, like that, that, you know, it's gone in phases and whatever, it's but when it's when there's it's, no electricity. It's when, it's when you're going by natural light. Right. You're going by natural light and I guess your natural circadian rhythm. So we are so, our bodies have adapted so much to artificial light and alarms and all of these things that we no longer go by our natural circadian rhythm whereas if we if we did rely on nat- that natural light our sleep schedule would be much different probably so people would awake in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and you know and and that's when they would um she said you know they would they would talk they would read um they would make love they would do all of these things and then go back to bed again yeah um, so it's just interesting how, you know, so much of what we do is based on the fact that we have completely separated ourselves from nature and this sort of natural rhythm of things and created our own rhythm that probably actually isn't the most effective way for us to be. But it is comforting in the middle. Of, after I read that and I woke up in the middle of the night one time at three, um, I thought about that and it made me feel less stressed out about it. It right. sort of made me feel like, okay, this is what you do. And, right. you know, I mean, I get up and read or or do something like that and then go back to bed mm-hmm. and it's fine. Right. I mean, if you don't have to wake up and 
function function yeah <laughs> right but there is there is definitely she talks about you know that loneliness of that period of the night and a little bit that is you know wintering is an extended period of that yeah. you know i oh, did that totally. i mean that state of of where your mind is at that moment in the middle of the night that terrible place that you bring yourself to and those terrible things you tell yourself I was in that state for months. Yeah, that's so interesting. Right? Yeah, right. I was in totally. literally stuck in that state for months where I could not bring myself out of it. There were no positive thoughts. There was nothing reassuring I was telling myself. So, you know, it's almost like a, it's an elongated period of I that. always tell myself in the middle of the night, I'm like, whatever I think is multiplied by a thousand, you know, like... Because then you wake up and you're like, oh, it's fine. Isn't there a meme like that? Totally. I think you shared that. It was yeah, like, it was like um, I've made a deal with myself that I will no longer believe anything I say t- past 10 p.m. No, but there was one meme where like you wake up and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. Fine. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. all those words all that the you have things in the middle of the night. And you're like, what? It was, it's all fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's just no amazing problem. what our brains can do to our mm-hmm. How they can torture us. And I was listening to a podcast the other day with um, Dr. Lori Santos, who she does the podcast Happiness Lab. And she has that that class about how to be happier at Yale Mm -hmm. that she sort of started thinking um, that she, you know, would do this small little seminar and 20 people would sign up. And now like 3 million people have done it. It's the number one class at Yale. Um, She offers it for free to the public because it's been so effective. And, you know, she does say that the happiest people are the ones who settle into their circumstances rather than fighting them. You know, and, and if we could all sort of do that, like I think about now, I'm sort of like, oh, my God, yeah, I've always fought these long days and these short days. I have always been like, oh, I hate getting bundled and I hate going into the cold and I hate. But now I feel like, I don't know, I I have a different sense of it, I guess, as I'm getting older and slowing down a little bit. But I, I fully now have a different sense of, I don't know, I want to embrace this. I want, I don't want to wish away the winter months. I want to sort of sink into it. And, and I think that, um, paying attention to the present, even if it's uncomfortable and being in it is there's, there is something, I guess, comforting in that, you know, of, of not wishing it away and being in the present and, and just, even if it feels uncomfortable, embracing it. And allowing joy, even when things are difficult. That's one of my hardest things. Oh, definitely. You know, like, like it's okay to laugh. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to take a break from thinking it through. You know, I'm always like problem solving in my head and think if I if I think about something else for a moment, I'm not dedicated to fixing whatever problem it is that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like taking breaks and... Mm-hmm. Catherine May in the book, there's one part where she is at a sauna, um, I think in one of the Iceland. really, really cold places, maybe Iceland, and she's supposed to be home resting because she's, you know, she's she's taken a, a leave of absence from work because she's sick. And here she is at this sauna, but she's oh, sort oh, of right. doing it for her health and for, you know, for herself. But she stops and she thinks to herself, oh, my God, is this OK that I'm like at this sauna and everybody is at work doing 
you know, being productive and doing all these things. And she, she sort of thinks to herself like, oh my God, I'm doing this luxurious thing of being at Asana. Uh, and then, you know, she's, she's at the Blue Lagoon and everything and she feels this guilt. But it's because we are taught that those things are, we are supposed to be productive 24-7. And, and productive looks like, you know, we're doing something that's going to directly benefit society or, you know, like be pr- producing something. And it doesn't matter that she's not, you know, she's not being productive. It's productive in its own way. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So that reminds me of um, the Danish word that huga, if we're saying it right. It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E, I think. Um, and just the, the impracticality of a lot of the things that they do, it's all about coziness. It's not really about functionality as much. Um, you know, just having a really um, comfortable and um, safe environment where everything is just warm and cozy and you think of like knitting and tea and fireplaces and reading and reading and And togetherness. Yeah. A lot of families is a Danish word, right? And a lot of families once a week will do who ya will, will get together and they have a special place in their house and they light candles and it's almost sort of like this ritual. Oh, that's nice. I did an episode with um, she, oh, she yeah, the, the Danish Dan- way of parenting, um, Ibn Sandal, and she spoke a lot about it and, and, you know, how she lives in Denmark and they're one of the, you know, they're, they're like the second happiest country, you know, on the planet. Granted, they have like 3.5 million people and we have like 360 million people in, you know, in our country. So it's a very small place. It's, you know, just... It's just different. Um, but their whole thing is to, to, to be comfortable. And it's about being offline is the biggest thing. Mm. No electronics. That is really the biggest thing of Huga is that you are not supposed to have your screens anywhere in sight. So, you know, there's no interruption. There's no disruption. And that is so hard. It's like Shabbat, sort of how we're supposed to do Shabbat. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Um, and it's it's credited, Huga is credited for Denmark's number two spot in the Happiness Research Institute, ranking of the world's happiest country. The concept of Huga is primarily associated with Denmark and is usually cited as part of the country's soul. It's like mm. the soul of the country. Um, or an explanation for how people who live in such a wintry climate for much of the year can stay so fulfilled. So they don't fight the winter. Right. They, right. you know, they really sink into it and it becomes part of the soul of their culture. I love that. I mean, we fight it so hard here. We fight sadness. We fight winter. You know, we, we fight, um, you know, rest. 
and and relaxation and and all of those things like I think so many people in our society where productivity and you know 4 a.m. wake ups not to sit by the fire and have coffee and read but to head to the gym or to you know to get that work done first or or whatever it is you know to meal prep um Instead of embracing it as a quiet time, it, which I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying I think that there's there's not the guilt associated with waking up at four to go to the gym or whatever, but there is the guilt associated with waking up for that and sitting by the fire and reading. Well, I think what we learn from nature is that there's a time for everything, mm. right? Like, so sometimes we're in that, like, uh, energetic, creative, uh, you know, um, active time and sometimes we're in a more quiet um, introverted space so I think that we just need sometimes I think people just are one or the other and I'm not sure that that is necessarily what we should be we should be trying to find some sort of balance in all of that mm-hmm. and that's what I, I mean it's true like religion can help this whole idea of Shabbat you know, and for the Jewish Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. And so that's been, I, I don't, it doesn't work for me per se, but the idea of it is great that you sort of um, just spend time with your family and you don't work, but the definition of work has changed over the years. But, you know, things like that, like not checking your phone, not doing your work emails, all of that during that time is very, that would, seems like a really smart thing to do because you're building it into your life so every week you get a break mm-hmm. yeah well we definitely as a society have to be better about separating our work life and our regular life and I think now more than ever it's so hard because so many of us are working from home well I'm reading a book now which we could talk about another time but it's so f- I just started it and it's all about how work from home does not solve the problem if we're still expected to you know be pre- be productive all the time if it doesn't really give flexibility except for the commute but they're monitoring your every move when you're working from home some people don't feel like they have better balance working from home mm-hmm. so that's not the on- that's not the final solution like there are ways that we can make working from home actually work for people and be a good thing mm-hmm. beyond just getting rid of the commute right right I, well, I wanted to end on the fact of you know a lot of this we think about summer and warm weather and everything and how, oh, all I need is a day by the beach and the sun and, you know, it's so healing and the vitamin D and the this and the that. But these aspects of winter and wintering also have huge healing powers. They're very, very healing. And so in some sense, the fact of embracing this winter and this cold is productive because there is healing happening. And... You know, after all, like she says, you apply ice to a joint after an awkward fall. Why not do the same thing to life? This leads her, you know, she does ice swimming and teeth chattering, but invigorating exercise. And you see now, I mean, it's kind of becoming trendy. You see these celebrities who do these ice baths in the morning. And I actually, for the past year, Adam gets really annoyed because he gets in the shower in the morning and it's freezing because if I've showered first, you know, which isn't often, but um. I have turned for the last 30 seconds of my shower, I turn it freezing and I love it. I mean, it feels so, so, I mean, so it's, it's, 
terrifying when I'm about to do it and everything. And it's like when I'm in it, I can't wait for it to end. But I get out and I feel so good, you know. And and it's so funny. I listened to an interview with um, what's her name from the Avengers. Um, what is her name? Uh, hold on. Oh, Brie Larson. She wakes up in the morning and does an ice bath every morning. And oh she's, gosh. you know, and she's freezing. And, you know, you're out the same thing when you're out in the cold and it's bitter cold or whatever. And she's so she does this ice bath to start her day. And then she says, whatever happens to me throughout that day, I say to myself, at least I'm not in that fucking ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> but she writes in the book about Catherine May meets somebody who has, I don't know if it's depression and she does an ice swim every day and it's helped her. Mm-hmm. She went off of her medication. Wow. Like it just did something to her brain to, you know, I don't think everybody should necessarily do that, but it does. I think that it has tremendous healing properties mm-hmm. going into the ice cold. And I would love to do that. I mean, I probably would never actually go in. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would if you were in? If well, you I've were... done cold plunges before, but like at, at, at the bathhouse. But like, so these people are freezing cold, right? They drive to the beach from their house. They get out of their car. They're freezing cold walking to the beach. There's icicles in the water. Mm-hmm. And then they jump into the water. And Catherine does this, Catherine May. And she knows if her thumb joint starts to hurt, that that's when she's getting close to hypothermia and oh she needs God. to get out. <laughs> How long did she stay in for? Do you remember? I think it's like is it 15 minutes? <gasps> I don't 15 know. minutes. Not. I could, I'm not good with numbers. Well, I do know there are people who do an ice bath for up to 20 minutes. Like that there are people who will say, I mean, I think the regular time is like you do it for like two minutes, but there are people who do it for 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So this is what she says about depression. She said a, Cam- a Cambridge neurosci- neuroscientist believes that depression is caused by inflammation in the brain. And so this person who does this, she says, in this context, the effect of the cold makes sense. I'm treating my brain like an inflamed joint. Hmm. It's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The idea, the cold thing is very interesting to me and I do like it. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I sit outside of my house in the morning with my coffee and Adam will look at me like I'm an idiot, but I love our little porch area out outside start having hot flashes then you'll really love it right but I you know I do I have embraced it in the past year or so in a way that I didn't used to and it's lovely like I just love it so I don't know so I just feel like if we can look at it all sort of as its own kind of healing um, not in the same sense of you know being productive in the sense of that we're not producing anything and the days are shorter and we're resting more and whatever, but it is still productive because it is healing and it is readying us for the next phase of life. And that has to be enough sometimes. Um, So, you know, I just hope that people will embrace it more. And, you know, I think with this book, she's saying it's okay and she's giving us permission um, that we need, right? And we book, need that permission. The book itself, I don't know if you found this when you read it, but I've read it twice now. Mm-hmm. It is like, you have to sort of settle in to read it. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, full of um, firecrackers, you know, like it's written in a very 
um, gentle, beautiful, poetic kind of way, very descriptive, a lot of nature references. I mean, she's clearly much more in touch with nature than I am because she's there's a lot of words in here I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it, it almost like slows your pulse down a little bit just sitting and reading the book. I think she does a beautiful job of like mirroring that right. in her writing style. Right. Yeah, there's no, I mean, I feel like there's no like, climax to the book or (laughs) right (laughs) it's very it's 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 sort of a um I don't want to say monotone but it has a a rhythm to it that's sort of very even Mm -hmm. but but really nice um yeah so I don't know I I'm glad you had me I'm so happy you read it yeah I I I think this is not something that I even could have read five years ago I would have been like I can't I can't even I need when does it speed up Mm-hmm. But I really am, I'm sure quarantine has something to do with this, but I really am settling into the slower side of life. Um, well, you, when COVID first started and the quarantine first started, you were nuts. You were so unhappy about it. Yeah. And you're totally, you, you totally adapted. Yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was nuts. I was really, really worried. Well, especially, I, you know, my, um, I have Ian, my middle son, is very, you know, he does not do well with downtime right, and everything. Right. That so that makes it harder too. Yeah. So, you know, with the kids and everything. But um but I mean everything I think in the past few years for me has slowed down. I mean, just in life, which has been a really good thing. I even see, you know, I wrote down one of the things I noticed is that even Adam and my fighting style has slowed, right? I say we used to have these like microwave fights, these like very quick you know, very, very intense fights and then sort of go our separate ways and pretend like everything was okay, but then we'd come back and have another microwave. Now we're having like crock pot fights. Oh my God, I think that I think you have to coin that phrase. Okay. I That makes so much yeah, sense. Yeah, well now we have these like slow simmers that feel really, really hard to get through. Like we're sort of, rather than denying what the other person is going through, we're sort of trying to sit in it and really talk it out. Actually, Adam's been so, he's really the one who started that. Um, and and it has been, while we're in it, it feels like, okay, I want it to end. But then afterwards, it it just feels much better. Like it feels done, complete. Well, it sounds like you can really think in those moments. Microwave moments, your brain is just on fire. Yeah. Like there's not, nothing. Well, because we want it to end. We want that. it to be over. Yeah. You know. Or you wanted to each say your piece without actually like having a conversation about it. Right. We just want to prove the other person's wrong. Right. But now we're sort of sitting in it and it's, it's really been helpful. I mean, the past few fights we've had have, it's been very different. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I have to, I'm sure we're the same way. Like I, I'm sure we've matured in that. Yeah. In that way, much less fiery and. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Thank and you. This talking. is so nice. I know. It is such a nice conversation. It's so different. Yeah. You know, it's just it's like this unique subject matter that we never really think about. I know. You know, everybody, I feel like everybody, how often do you ask somebody what their favorite season is and they say winter? Like what? One in a hundred people maybe? Or because they ski or something. Right. Right. <laughs> they they like, have a house in Yeah, Utah Tahoe. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's never like, I just, I love the shorter days. Yeah, let's and, just sit on my couch. Yeah. Well, but I am, I'm, I'm getting into it. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, go visit Amy uh, on her website. Amy Alpert. Like, oh, amyalpert.com. 
and um, she is a fantastic life coach, career coach, and she just does, I mean, your newsletter and everything. If you ever want book recommendations, she is your person. Every book ever that I share on my Instagram account has come from Amy Alpert um, and also on Instagram. You're Amy Alpert Life Coach. Amy Alpert Life Coach on Instagram. Well, thanks, Amy. Thanks, Danielle. All right. It's always fun to be yes, with you. Yes, so fun. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.